This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Jeff Welpley. A couple quick announcements before we get started today. First, I'd like to thank our new platinum sponsor, Auth0. I'm happy to have them as a sponsor because I actually use their product and I really do love it. Auth0 really makes authentication easy. Uh, you can basically log in with any social <coughs> provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, password login, whatever. Uh, and it works on top of existing identification systems as well. And the best part for Angular developers is that Auth0 is really easy to integrate with Angular 1 or 2 or something like Ionic, which is actually where I use Auth0. Um, so if you're interested in this, uh, find out more uh, about integrating your Angular 1 or Angular 2 app uh, in under 10 minutes at auth0.com slash Angular. And also, uh, I'd like to thank another um, new sponsor, a longtime friend of the show and former uh, panelist, Pascal Precht, um, set it up a sponsorship through his company, ThoughtRam. Uh, and if you haven't already, definitely go back to episode 52, uh, where we talked to Pascal and his partner, Christoph, about uh, ThoughtRam. They're really amazing and super dedicated to the Angular community. Um, you can get a sense on that episode about how much they love their jobs and their mission, which is really to give all of you watching and, and listening uh, Angular superpowers through their uh, training sessions. So if you want to level up your team, uh, check them out at ThoughtRam.io. All right. So I'm super excited for today's show. Uh, we're going to get into something that I've been has been somewhat of an obsession of mine over the past couple of months. Uh, in general, uh, mobile development, and this is part of a theme for the next three weeks. We're going to explore uh, three really good options that you have in Angular 2 uh, to do mobile app development. Next week, we're going to talk about Ionic 2, and the week after that, we're going to actually talk about React Native integration with Angular 2. But today we're going to take a deep dive into NativeScript. And for that, we have an all-star group of panelists and guests, uh, starting off with Olivier Cohn. Hello, guys. And Nathan Walker. He's working on the sound. And Ari Lerner. Hey, everybody. How you doing, Ari? And for our special guests today, uh, we have two of the uh, developer evangelists, advocates uh, from Telerik, uh, TJ Van Toll. Hey, everyone. And Jen Looper. Hello. So for uh, people that may not have met you guys before, uh, Jen and TJ, why don't you give kind of a uh, short instruction to yourself? Um, go ahead, TJ. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, my name is TJ Van Toll. I'm coming to you from the snowy state of Michigan. I have two lovely kids that are home on snow days that we'll see if they interrupt us or not. <laughs> I work as a developer advocate at Telerik. I've been here for a few years, and I come from a web development background. I was a former member of the jQuery team, uh, and really at, at uh, Telerik, I sort of help existing web developers sort of move to mobile, transfer to mobile with projects like NativeScript. Cool. cool. And uh, Jen? 
Yeah, so hi everybody, my name is Jen, and I'm also a developer advocate. I was like this slippage between evangelist and advocate, but I'm a developer advocate. Um, we're here to help you guys, and I've been at Telerik for about a year and a couple months, and uh, I also come from a web development background, I've been a programmer for like 14 years, kind of clawed my way up in that system. And um, but I really am passionate about mobile apps. I have a big apps portfolio. Um, you can visit me on ladiesfirstmedia.com. I have, I don't know, 17 apps in the iOS store. It's, it's become an, a, a little bit of a problem, so <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop. And um, I just really love making mobile apps and helping people um, learn about the best ways that they can go about doing that. So that's what I do. Great. So I, I do want to get deep into a couple, you know, specific areas, but just to give kind of a lay some groundwork, TJ, do you want to give us an overview of what NativeScript is? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, the succinct way I could put NativeScript is it's basically building mobile apps with basically a tool chain or tools that your average web or more specifically JavaScript developer will already be familiar with. So, I mean, and I say that to contrast it with the typical stack that you'd think of when building iOS and Android apps, which is something like Xcode, Android Studio, tools like that, which are tools that I, I think people coming from the web, JavaScript, Node, um, they're not tools that people really know. And so with NativeScript, we really want to try to embrace tools like, for instance, NPM for package management, uh, JavaScript and TypeScript for writing your application logic, CSS for app styling, um, and allow those developers to use those skills to build apps that are truly native. And when I say that, I say that to sort of differentiate NativeScript from technologies like PhoneGap and Cordova, which I think is the, the single biggest thing we sort of get confused with. What differentiates NativeScript is that we're not using web views. You're not, uh, a NativeScript app is not an app that's running in a little browser instance in an app we're actually running true native UI components. So at runtime, your app is indistinguishable from something natively written with Xcode or Android Studio. So can you explain a little bit about how that engine works? So you, you have it set up, and, and one of the really cool things is that you don't have to write any native code at all, like no like uh, actual Xcode uh, or Android code. You're, everything's in JavaScript. So how were you able to accomplish that? Yeah, I mean, what we're doing is we actually package up a JavaScript virtual machine. And so for anybody not familiar with that term, it's basically the, the piece of code that runs JavaScript. So your, your C++, uh, like your V8 engine or your JavaScript core on iOS, we actually package that into a native executable app. So that that JavaScript VM is actually in the app package and sitting there and running. And the core of NativeScript, really the nitty gritty, the, the runtime code for iOS and Android, is code that acts as sort of like a middleman or a bridge between those two lands. So your code is actually, in a NativeScript app, your code is actually running on the JavaScript VM. We're not doing any magic where, we don't have like a build time step that makes your JavaScript code Objective-C or Java. The code is actually being interpreted by the, the JavaScript VM in, in, uh, at runtime, kind of like it is in a web browser, for instance. The difference is, is we sort of latch on to that VM and extend it to act as, like I said, a bridge to native code. And to give you an example of that, like for instance, you could type code like um, UI alert view in a native script app, 
And from a native script perspective, our runtime is smart enough to sort of um, detect that and call the appropriate native APIs under the hood, but yet sort of abstract you so that you don't need to know that that is happening. So the idea is to give you a best of both worlds experience so that you can be writing in JavaScript, but still be interacting with the native stack. Does that mean that there are limitations, though? Because if you are doing everything JavaScript and don't have like direct access, let's say, to what's in the native environment, are there certain things you're limited by? So the other thing that we do that's that we're sort of pretty proud of and that we think is sort of a differentiating feature with native script is that we actually inject basically in the entirety of iOS and Android into the JavaScript VM that's running. And what I mean by that is we have separate processes for iOS and Android that build up, uh, basically you point them at an SDK, so an iOS SDK or an Android SDK, and we scrape together using reflection and various other techniques, an image of all the APIs that are available on that platform. And we inject those things in as global variables in to the JavaScript VM. So on, in a native script Android app, for instance, you could type Android, and that is just available. Um, you could type java.io.file, and that's available. So the raw APIs are available, and that's really one of the more powerful things with native script. Uh, but at the same time, just because those APIs are available, we sort of realized that most, most people that come from a web JavaScript experience aren't going to necessarily want to deal with those nitty gritties. It's more of an advanced usage scenario. And so most of the code that you see in NativeScript, really, it's sort of, NativeScript is divided almost into two sections. There's the runtime that's sort of like the C++ craziness that makes the magic happen. But then we also have a series of JavaScript modules that abstract away those sort of platform-specific things into a platform-agnostic API. So to take that file example, we would, even though you could type new java.io.file in a native script Android app, uh, you'd instead say something like instead require uh, file, whatever we call it, the specific API, and just type a new file uh, abstraction that we provide that sits on top of the actual Android and iOS APIs. And that extends as well to visual controls as well, like a list box is translated iOS or native or Android to their native forms, right? Yep. So for the actual UI definition, I, I, I think the one uh, thing that is sort of unique to native script or different from or market notably different from building for the web is that we do not use HTML to actually render your UI. Um, so if you're building a PhoneGap Cordova app, you're going to write HTML for your view for your visual layer. But in native script, if, because there is no browser, there is no DOM, there, there really, there's no HTML. Like there's no such thing as a div in the iOS SDK or the Android SDK. There's no concept of that. So what we do instead is that we provide an XML syntax uh, with different UI components that you can add to your app in native script. And the way those are implemented, um, as, um, as you're getting at, this works very same or very similarly to the mechanism we have for JavaScript APIs. So you type an XML label element, for instance, and you don't get a web label, a DOM label, but instead under the hood, we render that as a UI label on iOS and in Android, let's see, android.widget.textView, I believe, Some, something like that on, on Android. And I know the concept of writing in uh, XML is a little off-putting sometimes to people, but it's really not that bad once you get going. So I promise <laughs> it's not so terrible. Well, but is there really any difference between XML and HTML? I mean, I, I understand that the tags are different, but it, 
should function pretty much the same, right? Yeah, the, the, I mean, XML, I, I mean, the one thing that killed XML on the web is that XML is not, uh, it's not very airproof, right? Like if you, if, if you're building an XHTML document and you forget a closed div tag, you don't want your entire web app to break suddenly. That's a bad thing for the web. But in a native mobile app, that, that same behavior is actually advantageous because these things have to render into native UI components. We need to know at build time, at compile time, whether we're able to actually translate these into actual native iOS and Android controls. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, I guess from like an Angular developer viewpoint, let's say, who is used to creating custom elements, like you know, in my mind, I know you're saying like it's XML, and, and yes, that's technically different than HTML. But from an Angular developer's point of view, like we create custom elements all the time. In, in Angular 2, especially, instead of using like the attribute tag in Angular 1, like most people use, that you actually create uh, an element that is the name of your component. So when I look at native script code, that's sort of what I see is just like a bunch of custom elements that you guys created. Yeah, it does have that feel. It feels a little bit like semantic markup, like you have sections and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's quite easy to onboard yourself to this if you're an Angular developer or um, if you have any, any conception of, like, getting away from this idea of using divs all over the place and using more, like, semantic markup. Yeah, the, the syntax is, feels very familiar. It's more that just the basic building blocks are different. So there's no, you're not writing things like div and span. You're writing things like stack layout, um, grid layout, that sort of thing instead. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about Angular 2. Uh, so NativeScript does have a good integration story to Angular 2. TJ, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, just for a little background on this too, like with NativeScript in particular, uh, we don't particularly, like out of the box, NativeScript doesn't ship with any of your traditional like MVC, like JavaScript frameworks. So we very much leave it open to sort of what the user wants to do with that. And as of about uh, sometime last year, we started um, we started working with Google in particular to start to integrate Angular 2 into NativeScript. Now, the challenge there is that even though a lot of Angular 2 just sort of works out of the box, since this is all JavaScript, um, and in our case, it's all TypeScript too, NativeScript's JavaScript modules are actually uh, authored in TypeScript. And of course, Angular 2 is authored in TypeScript as well, so that works quite nicely. But there are things that are specific to the individual platform. And what I mean by that is our challenge really so far and what we've been working on is working with the Angular team to find these dependencies that the framework has on the DOM. Um, so obviously, if you were to dump Angular 1 in a native script app, it's a, it's a non-starter because Angular 1 has all these explicit ties to the DOM. And one thing that the Angular 2 team has really worked on is basically building extension points or making it pluggable so that other platforms like native script can hook into this and make Angular 2 available on these other platforms. And so you'll find like in our Angular 2 sort of integration, you'll find things like our bridge to make like basically DOM-like APIs apply to NativeScript. Like what happens when Angular 2 internally calls a pen child? Well, in iOS and Android, there's no such thing, but we have sort of equivalents in iOS that we can make work in those ecosystems. The same is also true if you think of like a router. Um, the Angular 2 router is very much has a browser in mind, it's like back button, uh, routes, query strings, those sorts of things. And so some of our work is finding out, like, what's the most sane way we can port these 
to iOS and Android so that developers get to use those same APIs, those same skills, that sort of thing, but that we still don't also degrade the experience for iOS and Android. It's important to us that you're really getting a first-class, high-quality iOS and Android app out of this as well. And so that's sort of what we're working on is uh, sort of polishing up those, those APIs and making them available. So for Angular 2, am I correct in saying that let's say you were building like uh, an app that you could share outside of the view code, which like you're saying is something you built a uh, custom renderer for native script. But outside of that, uh, you should in Angular 2 be able to share pretty much everything else in your Angular 2 app with other apps you may have, right? Yep, and as, as you said, the UI is the tricky part. That's the part that, and in many cases, even if you could share some of that, you probably don't want to just because typically to, to make a really high-quality user interface, it's not the sort of code that you'd necessarily want to share across your different paradigms, your web, native, um, that sort of thing. However, um, if you think things like the, the easy ones are things like your service layer in Angular 2, the thing that actually talks to your back end, your model objects, you're just, you're just uh, vanilla, like plain old TypeScript objects. Those are things that they're not especially challenging. And we, we have some examples right now of situations where we're doing exactly that. Like services and models are sort of the, the easy case. And then from there, it just becomes a matter of your specific use case, your, what you're building, um, your organization, how these things, what makes sense to you, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, um, so it seems like it's pretty easy to share. From what you're describing, it seems like it's pretty easy to share to write your, you know, to use the React native phrase, write, learn once and write for each platform. Uh, do you find that people are doing that? Do you find that um, that's a common story? I think that's one of the major draws for using Angular 2 within NativeScript. That is one thing that people are really looking to do. People who are trying to go down as the story gets more mature, I think it'll be really interesting to see what, what ends up being used on web, what ends up being used on mobile. I know that, Jeff, your company is thinking along these lines, trying to make these decisions. I, mu- I might comment on that if you guys can actually hear me now. Yay! Yay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank goodness. So, um, Ari, I'm actually currently trying to extend Angular 2 seed to be an integration with NativeScript. And so I'm trying to reuse all the components in that seed to wire up to NativeScript controls. And it actually seems to work for the most part. I mean, it works. You can actually, you know, create a service that would point to an XML file in NativeScript control uh, at runtime based on kind of a uh, platform configuration. So the things that I'm seeing, though, is like functions that may cause a switch uh, to occur. Of course, the arguments for something like a segment and bar, which is a native script control, um, passes in, of course, a certain argument. And you have to look for something like new index to be able to determine what that user clicked on. So enable to use a method uh, in an Angular component for web and then also a native script control I'm seeing that you have to provide right now a conditional, of course, that would actually look for um, or at least look if the configuration was a native script runtime. And then in order to look at that argument and determine, you know, what, what happened versus, you know, what happened on the web. So native script in the framework itself has a really interesting interface that allows them to uh, bridge between Android, iOS, and then recently we've 
post, uh, Jeff posted an issue about creating web controls, and it's kind of along the same vein where there's an interface that pulls for each platform, and based on that, it would know which one to call for the right platform. So how this plays out in web, I'm not exactly sure yet, but I'm experimenting with some stuff. Have you guys thought about like other platforms, such as like Apple TV? Like it seems like if this is really... I think uh, somebody did do Apple TV uh, in the blogs early on. I want to say in like July. If you look in the NativeScript blogs, I think somebody did create something for Apple TV. <laughs> wow. Now I'm going to dig it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, more generically, it's the, the NativeScript architecture c can absolutely be extended to, to other software ecosystems. I mean, we have sort of an early implementation of the Windows 10, Windows Universal runtime as well out there. The big thing is just from, the, the tricky thing is just maintenance costs, like time to build this thing and then time to also maintain it, document it, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Uh, so for that reason, we sort of have to prioritize, like at the moment, just Android and iOS. So it's certainly the sort of thing that could be extended for Windows. I mean, it could be used to build desktop Windows applications, desktop OS X applications potentially as well. It's, it's more just the, the maintenance cost and such associated with doing that. I would imagine that using your code base and uh, delivering an APK for Nook or Kindle wouldn't be a huge stretch for uh, somebody who knows Android better than I do. <laughs> it's something worth trying. Um, so I just have, I have one more question, and then unfortunately I'm going to have to um, leave the discussion for the day. Uh, uh, and it's, it's like maybe you guys will come back to this, but what is it, for somebody who wants to build a native script today or they want to build a native script next month, um, is it, do you have um, user stories that people have published uh, apps in the app store and are making money with it? Or I mean, making money is not necessarily, not necessarily like a professional <laughs> a different piece too. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for, professional. <laughs> so I, I've, pu I've published actually two. Um, cross-platform. Uh, one is a weather app and one for kids, and one is uh, a game. Um, I, I'm not going to say they're blockbusters, but it was just, you know, you can do it. <laughs> and, but if you take a look at the uh, showcases on nativescript.org, you can take a look at what people are building. Um, I think that the Nativescript ecosystem sometimes appeals a lot to um, enterprise users, so some of the apps that people are building might unfortunately not be able to be put in the showcases because they're, you know, behind walls. But um, hopefully we can at least get some screenshots maybe. We yeah, have some Nico, interesting user stories coming along. Yeah, if you nativescript.org slash showcases is the URL for that. And we have a couple other announcements in the works that uh, for legal reasons we'll have to hold off with at the moment. But stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And with that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank Take you. Take care. Thanks. I do want to get back really quick to the native for the web thing because uh, just for one last point. So I, I created that issue like Nathan was mentioning on the um, native script GitHub uh, issues list. And the, the reason is because I, I can see that, you know, besides my company wanting that to exist, uh, that there's other... Uh, areas out there, like people that are you know, starting to kind of, um, they want to have 
something like that where they're just authoring in, they, they want to build an app and it to run pretty much anywhere, right? And you can see in the React world, if you, if you watched the React Conf um, talks last week, that they talked about how that is going to be one of their major pushes to have the React Native for the web, like the, the same type of thing that we're talking about on the React Native side. And the power, I think, in that is being able to um, reuse stuff, but uh, also dive deep. Because that's the uh, benefit with NativeScript that I see that you guys are talking about is you know, that you can get down to that uh, native level uh, you know, that is more performant and that type of thing, um, but still be able to uh, have the same view code, the same everything shareable. I mean, that would be extremely powerful. I understand that there's more maintenance, like you're saying, TJ, but uh, but that's your problem, right? <laughs> that's hey, the dream. That's the dream, you know, Jeff, share it everywhere. <laughs> Jeff, if I could clarify one thing on that. Um, as I was reading into that, I was thinking about the tooling. So the implication of that is that we would run uh, the TNS CLI tools, uh, I would assume, and then if you wrote everything in native script, it could then basically render a web component for all those XML. So I just want to clarify and see what, your overall vision is on that issue. Is that kind of what you're thinking that with something like that you would use, you know, native script CLI, write most of all your UI and native script type controls, and then use their cross-platform, you know, ability to kind of render out controls for different platforms? What, what are you thinking there? Well, I mean, we can, <clears throat> I don't want us to uh, stick on this particular topic, the whole, the whole show per se, uh, because it's something like I sort of initiated, but uh, yeah, it's something along those lines that I have, you know, our app for Get Human, let's say, that uh, it is going to look literally look the same and function the same, regardless of whether you come through the web or download the mobile app. So why would I have to code that completely different? It just doesn't make any sense. Now, I understand that there are differences like with navigation and that type of thing, um, but that's where I, I think that there's some value in investing, basically, in seeing what, like, build on top of the awesome platform that you guys have started to build with NativeScript and, and these kind of, uh, this ability to have a common API and see, at least see where it can go. I mean, I guess that, that's the main thing. It, it build that prototype, see where there may be issues that, okay, this, we're hitting a roadblock here that's going to want to try to get to that point. You know what I mean? Definitely. And TJ and Jen, I'd like to hear your, I don't know if you guys saw this issue, but um, even a while back, uh, I was thinking about trying to fork native script to actually develop native OS X desktop controls. And so I know that's probably not it. I don't want to get deep on that topic, but it's kind of in the same realm. I mean, if it, if you can use native script to already build components for Android and iOS, it's, and foreseeable for the web, I assume you could do it for desktop controls as well. Yeah, so let me uh, take a step back and just talk about the native script architecture and how sort of these things could fit into play. So for each of Android and iOS today, there's, I, I sort of said this earlier, but there, there's basically a runtime, and the runtime drives the app. It's, it's basically the run loop. It's where everything happens from. And then the actual modules, which are implemented in JavaScript. And the, the modules implement both the UI controls as well as um, APIs for accomplishing tasks, like 
I need the camera in my app. You would use a native script module to do those. That's a bunch of JavaScript code to do it. So if you wanted to add another runtime to native script, it's basically a two, two part battle. It's adding that runtime and then adding the modules. Now on the web, the runtime would be significantly easier than it is on iOS and Android. And our, our Android and iOS runtimes are the, the single biggest spot of complexity in all of native script. That's where the real magic is, is actually going down. And on the web, essentially all you need to do is take your code and figure out how to get it to a browser. So the, the complexity there goes, goes down quite a bit. I wonder about the browser compatibility, though, because then you have to deal with runtimes for each of those browsers. Am I right? You should be able to Firefox build... Safari. Um, I think you'd just be able to spit out a script tag at the end of the day that just puts ports all... does your TypeScript build and just chucks it all together in something that you could toss in a script tag. But the, the hard part would be from the module's point of view... Uh, in terms of, so when we talk about these, these different NativeScript modules, I used like the label example earlier that our label element is actually a UI label on iOS and an android.widget.textView on Android. So on the web, you could say, oh, well, it's, it's simple. That's, that's just a, a simple label control, for instance. Uh, you just spit out a label DOM node. But it's not the sort of thing you'd be able to really achieve API parity with because, uh, I mean, a lot of the things that the NativeScript controls do right now are specific to building in a mobile app. There, there are things that are just not, there are, really are no equivalents of in the mobile web. So, I mean, you, you could make it happen. Um, uh, some of these things you'd have to just not implement on the web. Some of them you'd have to get creative, uh, like a list view, for instance, on iOS and Android, figuring out how to port that could get kind of creative. So it's, it's not that it's impossible by any means. This is certainly something that's feasible and something that we could look into doing. Uh, but I also don't want to trivialize the effort involved with making this work. And I think our focus at the moment is primarily providing a really, really good Android and iOS experience before we start to move on to these, these other problems that we could solve. But we want to make sure we do the mobile apps, our primary focus, really well first, get an Angular integration in there that's really good focus on that before moving on, if that makes sense. Uh, definitely. I'd say that maybe the community uh, could provide a web runtime. Yeah, you guys are doing amazing on what you're doing on already. I wouldn't want to take you guys' uh, attention off of that, that's for sure. Yeah, so let's uh, circle, circle back to the uh, native side of things. We've uh, gone through my little pet uh, project there. <clears throat> so just so we get a level set of what native script is relative to some of the other options out there. Um, you know, like Olivia, you were starting to look into some, I think you have experience with some other mobile app platforms. Uh, yeah, so now that mobile is becoming more and more, um, is driving more and more traffic, uh, it's something that um, a lot of people are thinking about and probably something that you will have to do is uh, think mobile first. Um, so NativeScript is one of the most advanced projects for Angular 2. Um, we also have Ionic. Uh, how do you compare uh, with this? Jen, you want to take that one? 
Okay, sure. Um, I wasn't sure. Like, I'm having a strange. I'm having this weird sense of déjà vu right now. <laughs> like, it was the the ionic angular question. Um, so, like TJ said earlier, in uh, ionic is um, leveraging hybrid mobile technologies, and with those technologies, you're going to be running your um, application within a web view. Um, that has a couple of ramifications. Um, although ionic is great, and I have been production. <laughs> um, for you know, you are going to possibly get a slight lag when you are using hybrid uh, mobile technologies to build a mobile app. Uh, it's definitely going to be slower than a native app. Uh, it's going to be also a little bit slower than a native script app, which is using more native technologies. So that's the basic differentiator. Um, and then, of course, the way you actually build it. You know, Ionic has it's it's more you know leveraging the web technologies uh, than than your native script app uh, is. I'm actually I'm debating taking my Ionic app and flipping it to NativeScript. I have to just get my head around the, the, the work it's going to take. But it's if it's just basically a master detail app, which it is, I think it won't be too bad. Do you think that it's easier to start with NativeScript? If you've, if you've never done either NativeScript or no Ionic, is it easier to start with NativeScript or Ionic? And uh, which one would you recommend for small apps and for big apps? This is a really interesting question because I would have thought that jumping straight into NativeScript would be a really kind of frightening ordeal <laughs> or scary. And I, and yet I, we have this new Slack channel um, for the NativeScript community, and I'm seeing students who are jumping into it, and they know they have no experience with web or mobile technologies at all. And they're jumping right into it, and they're ecstatic. <laughs> so. I, I'm really happy to hear that. Um, I, I wonder if perhaps someone like me with so many years of entrenched web development experience, uh, had I'd had that impression myself because that's kind of where I was at. And for me, getting onto Ionic was easier than jumping into NativeScript. But I have a feeling that um, maybe people without all this baggage, <laughs> maybe it's not so bad just to jump into NativeScript. So I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the web dev is the key because... When you're, if you're an existing web developer, Ionic is going to be easier just because it's using more of the web stack. I mean, your your target runtime at the end of the day is still basically a browser, so you're still writing HTML, um, and because of that, a lot of those same things that you're used to are going to going to still apply. Uh, I mean, what I like to say, or my my way of thinking about this, is that I I consider NativeScript to be a little trickier to build, that there is a little more ramp up time to building a native script app once you go truly native. But I like to think that for most situations that it's worth the extra effort that you sort of get what you put into it, the effort that's involved in the process, and that the final, the, the sort of finished product with native script is more polished, that it fits in with a native OS better. Your app looks like a native iOS app. It looks like a native Android app. You get the performance that you expect out of those ecosystems as well. And yeah. Maybe you gain some, uh, some help with uh, when you have to interact with uh, the, the phone for camera, stuff like that. It may be easier in native script than with Ionic, I guess. Actually, I think it is. I would say that's true. Um, I had uh, guys who are new to the um, experience in a hackathon um, take our grocery sample app and create a camera component and start taking pictures. Um, and it was within an evening. I was I was kind of blown away. And I think uh, when you're trying to do that with um, with a hybrid mobile app, that can get a bit bit dicey with all the Cordova stuff going on back there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
the same questions to the IONIQ team next week. And so oh, goody. Uh, <laughs> I'll bet you $5 will say the opposite. You know? <laughs> but your other question was regarding a, a big or a small app. Um, that's an interesting question, and I wonder, TJ and, and Nathan, what you think about this. I might speak on this real quick. You know, my company right now, it's a pretty big app, and we, we have a hybrid app, and it's, honestly, we've never been super impressed with the performance. Um, hybrid is okay. Um, but it's not great, you know, and I come from a background of writing Objective-C and pure native apps, and so, you know, I think when I first got into hybrid, I was thinking, ah, well, it'll be just as good, um, and for as large as the app is, trying to pull in everything and make it work with Cordova and deal with that, we would have had a much easier time if NativeScript had been available, you know, at the time, so, you know, we're currently trying to convert into that ourselves, but it's highly worth, I think, going for the performance that you get out of a pure native UI app. Um, it, it's worth the effort uh, to look in. I mean, with native script and not having to learn necessarily Objective-C uh, and, you know, even Android's APIs necessarily, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth the effort. Yeah, it was I'll, I'll just add that to me personally, it's it's the big apps where the benefit really sh where it really shows, because it's those big apps where you're going to run into those edge cases where you're going to really need to do something very specific, and you're going to be very committed to your technology stack, and you're going to really need to do something. Your your CTO is going to see some iOS app that does something, and you're going to need it in yours. Or there's there's some use case that you're going to need to solve. I think that's where really having that sort of arbitrary access to the native land, even if you're sort of overwhelmed by it by by first, just having it available is just incredibly important at scale. A, a perfect example of that is probably the list view. You know, if in a large app, if you've ever done a giant list, you know, a scrolling list and the DOM, it's yeah. just not, you're never going to be able to get that feel that most people are used to on mobile. You know, and so using like NativeScript's list view, it uses virtual scrolling, you know, it uses all the native um, performance, you know, that it, it just works really, really nice. It's what you want. Yeah, and the other, the cool thing about that too is that we didn't even have to code that necessarily, right? Like a list view under the hood is just a UI table view on iOS. So really all we're doing is instantiating and managing that control for you, and there's nothing stopping you from getting at the same control to customize it, build, upon, build on yeah. top of it, that sort of thing. It's amazing. It, I'd like to ask a question actually coming from an Objective-C background and writing just pure native apps. What are there performance metrics on what the difference is in running native script, you know, and having a JavaScript engine in the mix versus a purely native app that just runs purely native code? Is the performance metric considerable? Um, have you guys run some pretty detailed analysis on that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the disclaimer is, is, as always, it sort of depends on what you're doing in your app for this the specific thing. The, there's two big things that we measure in NativeScript. The first is startup time. Um, the, dif the difference between NativeScript and a native app is that uh, we're starting up a JavaScript VM, and we have to toss all the JavaScript code in there and have it get interpreted before the app will actually start up. So that's something we tend to monitor across releases uh, just to make sure that we're staying reasonable. And I have the numbers here. Uh, like, for instance, a native iOS app, like your Hello World app, takes about something like 100 milliseconds to start up, somewhere 
somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, and on native scripts, we're on iOS, we're somewhere around a half second right now. So it takes a half second to kick in all the JavaScript. And it's somewhere, let me look at my Android times here, somewhere more like a second and a half or two seconds on Android to kick up that same exact process of starting up. So that's one thing we, we're sort of constantly monitoring. The other thing um, is our marshalling costs. And for us, that's the, the basically the bridge code, the, the code that actually converts JavaScript to native back and forth, just because it's sort of the crux of how native script operates. It's something that we tend to monitor. So we'll do things like um, we have tests that say, let's create 10,000 JavaScript strings, make them become NS strings, go back and forth and just see how performance degrades over time or as we sort of grow things up. And I mean, it's, it's hard to give generic advice about this thing because it, it really does sort of depend on what you're doing. There is a cost associated with using NativeScript instead of pure native. But what I like to tell people is that if, if you're building sort of your ordinary type app, if you've got Joe Company app, you're building, you got some views, um, you're not really pushing the device limits, you're not pushing the device to its boundaries, you're very unlikely to run into any performance implications with native script. If you are, however, doing something that you think is, it is going to push the limits of the device, you're doing something non-trivial, something that not every app tends to do, then it's something you, you will probably run your own type of benchmarks before you start really committing yourself to something like native script. Uh, try out some of the more um, hairier, crazier things that you intend to do with your app and test it out for yourself and see how it behaves. I got, I got to say I've been incredibly impressed because uh, recently I did this easy audio plugin, which is low latency audio processing. I was really thought that it might not hold up. Um, you know, I kind of had fears that actually shuttling buffer data from an audio stream, marshalling over to, you know, iOS and actually trying to render um, a waveform control, I thought it would not hold up, but it, it holds up actually very well. So, I mean, on that note... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Just to take to give you the back the background of the, this plugin that Nathan created, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, it takes the sound and generates the waveform, uh, just just beautifully. It, it's it's an incredible plugin. Um, yeah, we'll have I mean, to put it, the link to it in the notes. Yeah, I mean, if if you're curious, if for those native developers out there who are used to writing in pure native code, who are curious at how native script actually handles low latency audio processing, um, check out the demo for sure. So I'm curious, you know, it sounds like from what you guys are saying <clears throat> that the native script engine and native script itself kind of functions a lot like React Native. Uh, so could, maybe, TJ, can you talk a little bit about where the differences are, like, uh, you know, contrast and there where maybe uh, native script is taking a kind of a different either philosophical path or something implemented differently? Yeah, so it, it's, it's, I mean, to start off, it's safe to say that React Native is certainly the closest of all these frameworks and tools we talk about that NativeScript and React Native are the most similar of all these. There's there's a strong correlation or a similarity between the two, I should say. I'd say when you think about differences, uh, I mean, right off the top, uh, the, the name sort of gave it away, React Native, you are using React sort of out of the box. Uh, and what we find is that, I mean, if you enjoy using React, then that's great. There's there's other people that don't like using React or don't like being tied to React. So with NativeScript, we offer some flexibility in that respect. I'd say the other big difference, though, um, just in terms of sort of how we think about solving this problem is that 
with NativeScript, one thing we try to do is we really try to abstract away some of these, these native tools that we know that JavaScript developers may not necessarily want to get involved with. And I'm talking about things like Xcode uh, and Android Studio as part of building your app. I mean, when you start up a React Native app, it's, it's, it's very much, um, especially when you go to extend React Native, you tend to get more involved in those ecosystems and require a little bit more knowledge of those worlds than you do in a native script app. We, we try to, I mean, uh, the, the easy audio plugin is actually a good example of this, that uh, when writing that plugin, is, it's actually, you have to have some native uh, sort of background or do a little research to actually write that sort of plugin to tie into the native audio to know what you're doing there. But when you go to consume that plugin, um, it's actually as simple as just writing TNS plugin add, plugin name, so NativeScript Easy Audio, require uh, NativeScript uh, Easy Audio, whatever the, the name of the thing is, and generally one or two JavaScript calls to actually use the thing. So we, we try to abstract you away from, from those details for the average JavaScript developer using the project. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to say it's it's possible to abstract every single possible native detail in your plugin away, and then the consumer uses it just like they would any other class. I mean, it's yeah. Like for instance, um, React Native's guides to building plugins and such usually involved writing some sort of Objective C wrapping code to to sort of make it possible. And you basically have to manually integrate that with their sort of bridge bridge equivalent and. With NativeScript, the power of just having those JavaScript APIs directly available is that it, it simplifies that process fairly considerably, especially from the end user that doesn't really want to deal with any of that stuff. We are getting near the top of our show, so I do have a couple questions from Twitter. Uh, if you do have a question and you're listening live, you can tweet with the hashtag NGAIR, NGAIR and we'll uh, try to get to it right at the end of the show. Uh, but let me go through these questions, and then we'll have time for a couple more questions from the panelists as well. Uh, so first up from a RE user uh, is, how does uh, NativeScript differ from something like FuseTools.com or Flutter.io? I'm not, I'm not familiar with these, but uh, are you guys? I've heard of Fuse Tools. I have not put it through its paces, but from what I've seen, it's it's beautiful. I mean, I've I've seen the website. It's very nice. Have, TJ, have you played with it at all? Yeah, I've I've played with Fuse before. I haven't played with with Flutter before. I I think the difference with Fuse is very much a design oriented tool, or at least that's sort of how they market themselves. That it integrates with Photoshop and such. I I personally see NativeScript as more of a developer oriented tool. Um, sort of things like what we talked about earlier, our plugin support, um, our tie-in, our arbitrary JavaScript access to the native stack. I think that's sort of what differentiates us from those tools. And again, I, I don't have in-depth Fuse Tools knowledge, so I don't want to say anything uh, too much because I, I haven't spent a ton of time with them. Okay. And then uh, we have two questions here from Larry King on uh, Twitter. First one, uh, just want to know more about the debug process or the developer workflow. Um, how does it compare to, like, he, it seems like he's a web developer and he wants to know how the native debug and development experience compares to web development and debug. Yep. Uh, so one of the cool things about the architecture in NativeScript is that 
because all of your code is interpreted at runtime, your JavaScript, your XML, your CSS, it all, it's all interpreted. It means it's easy for us to sort of inject in changed files to your, your assets, your, any of these, these assets. And so we have this command called live sync. And basically from our command line, you would run the live sync command. And what it'll do is it'll set up a watcher of your development files and basically figure out when those things change to really just intelligently inject those things into the app so that you get a very fast refresh cycle that feels very much like you're, you're building for the web. From a debug perspective, the, the situation is, is somewhat similar in that um, we are using the same JavaScript VMs that web browsers use. So we use V8 on Android, we use JavaScript Core on Safari. And both of these VMs have, um, I hope I get my terminology right, but they, they basically have debugging protocols that allow for things like, if you've ever done remote debugging with Android in the Chrome Dev Tools, or there's, a, there's basically an exact equivalent of that on iOS and Safari, these are APIs or things that you can latch onto um, externally as well, which is basically what we do with native scripts. So we have debugging commands in the native script CLI that basically launch your app and that also tie them to a little debugger. So essentially the Chrome debug tools uh, it's not quite as powerful as using, say, the Chrome debug tools to debug your web app. So you're, you're not going to find all the niceties that you have there. But for your basics, like step debugging, console logging, um, that experience is pretty similar. Larry's second question is uh, to understand about the security aspects of NativeScript. Uh, I think specifically, or at least one that you mentioned is up. up uh, obfuscation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, what you said, um, that and, and how that works. Obfuscation. Yeah, so... TJ, what are we doing about that? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, yep, and we've had a lot of requests for this. So right now, NativeScript itself doesn't do anything to obfuscate your JavaScript code that you, that you actually put into your app package. <laughs> now, there is nothing to stop you from writing your own build tool, like your own Gulp obfuscator, Minifier, um, any of those tools you can certainly incorporate into your tool chain. We are working on building something sort of official, air quotes, official, way of handling this, of encrypting your, your apps, just because we've gotten a lot of requests for that. Uh, there's a GitHub issue open for that. We could probably find a, a link to that and inc include it uh, for people that are interested to follow along. Is there a tool that you can use to obfuscate your JavaScript code? I cannot remember what it's called. Uh, JScrambler? JScrambler is one I've heard of, yeah. That's like the one that takes blocks of your code and like sort of intelligently shuffles them, but keeps... Yeah keeps things working correctly, yeah. Yeah, that might be something to try. Okay. And uh, Olivier or Nathan, did you guys have any other questions on your end? Um, I might ask, are you guys are planning Windows Phone support in April, is that right? Or <laughs> It's like nailing us down. <laughs> okay. TJ, what's the official... Uh, so Windows Universal support, not necessarily... Uh, Windows 10, so not necessarily Windows Phone. Um, and, yeah, I don't know specific dates, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, no. the, the first release will just be the, the runtime portion of it. We'll be open sourcing that and making it available, and then uh, the, the modules, that portion of it, um, I, don't, I, I think we'll have to, we're chatting internally about exactly dates and things, how we want to handle that. 
Nice. I might mention, too, um, real quick, NativeScript and Angular 2, I think it would be nice to create some type of a cookbook thing, kind of like the Angular team just recently did on uh, their site, and maybe I could help with that, but um, it would be nice to see some, like, actual, you know, samples, NativeScript, Angular 2 integration, and, you know, kind of start creating recipes for that. Nice. That'd be a great idea. Absolutely. I think that AJ and I will be working on the Angular 2 NativeScript Getting Started Guide coming ASAP. Nice. Awesome. So what is the future hold for NativeScript? World domination. (laughs) (laughs) Pinky in the brain style. (laughs) I I think the immediate roadmap is is heavily Angular 2 focused and really trying to get that that polished and get that out. (laughs) Nice, nice. I can't concentrate <laughs> anymore. Um, uh, getting Angular 2 out there, getting it polished. Um, I, I mean, we really intend to follow Google's own Angular 2 guidelines, so we're, we're hoping to announce a stable release of NativeScript around the time that Angular 2 becomes stable. So because of that, that's our big focus at the moment. I, I think beyond that, uh, Windows Universal support would be one big ticket item that's on the roadmap as well, and just continuously polishing um, the iOS and Android abstractions that we already have, too. Okay. And is there anything else that uh, we missed that you guys want to make sure that people know about NativeScript? So one big one big point I'll make, too, because a, a lot of people wonder this, is that NativeScript, um, Jen and I both work for Telerik, and we are the company that creates, creates supports uh, NativeScript. And also that Telerik, if, if you haven't heard of us before, we're, we're a company sort of best known for our UI components. And we're a decently large company, too, which I don't think people necessarily realize. Telerik is 700-some people, and our parent company is uh, close to 1,000 people. So I think between the two, we've, we've got about 2,000 people strong. Uh, and as such, we're, we're a company, too, that we're, we've been developing software for a long time. Um, we've been developing these tools, and we're, we like to think that we're a company that you can feel comfortable that NativeScript is a stable product. We've got a big backing. We've got a lot of engineers on the project as well, and so we're pretty excited about the future. And Todd is coming to work for Teneric, I guess. Yes, he started Todd, Todd Motto. Yeah. Yep, he started last week. I'd like to mention that, yeah, if anybody hasn't tried Teleric Platform, my company uses it as well for our hybrid deployment, and it's amazing. It is. Yeah, and if, uh, because this question comes up a lot, too, people often ask, like, so you're, you're Telerik, you're building NativeScript. Like, why? Like, how do you intend to make money off money. of <laughs> make money off of that? Uh, and the answer is through some of this premium tooling. So the, the Telerik platform is one example of that. We It's different tools that you can use to build your NativeScript apps. And expect in the near future, too, we have a, double, uh, a couple of additional announcements to come out around that, like support plans for companies that are interested uh, in that, that sort of thing is coming out as well in the near yeah. future. Well, I do actually have one uh, question on that. So does that additional tooling or something else in your stack include something equivalent to code push so to uh, be able to get updates out quickly? So like hot push into the App Store? Yes. So we have App Manager, which is a product that you can use um, to manage this kind of, um, of hot pushing, and that is something that uh, it's one of our paid products. Well, actually, one quick question. Oh, one one I, more I just thing. Twitter. <laughs> uh, where do where do I from this from uh, 
Ethan Riothata, who's asking, where can I find native script and Angular 2 tutorials uh, with examples? Coming so soon. <laughs> yes, coming soon. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll just leave that out, out here, too. Uh, I, I mean, much like Angular 2 itself, Na native script's Angular 2 integration is in a decently early state. I, I think we'd call it an alpha or whatever term that you want to use. Uh, if you're interested in getting started, actually, the, the place I'd recommend going to is join our Slack channel. Uh, yeah, if you go to nativescript.org, find the community button. There's a Slack channel in there. There's an Angular 2 room. You'll find some of us here hanging out there. Uh, and we can help point you in the, the right direction because right now it, it is early. Um, it's not something that we're encouraging people to build their next great production app with. And so we can help point you in the right, the right place to go. Yeah, I think the Slack channel is the best place to go for like fast help <laughs> when you're really, really stuck. <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. All right, let's get to our picks for today. And Olivier, why don't you start off? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so um, I published uh, today a review of NGNL uh, 2016. So you can read that. It's a uh, speaker's point of view. I, I don't talk much about the talks uh, from NGNL, but more about uh, my experience as a speaker. Um, my second pick is uh, Angular 2 Unit Testing Recipes by Gerard Sund. Um, it's a really, really, really complete uh, guide for unit testing in Angular 2. And it starts from uh, really the basics and just mean how it works. And if you've never done any unit testing, you can start with this guide. And even if you know unit testing, but you want to know how it works in Angular 2, uh, read this. It's really complex and interesting. Thanks, Olivier. Uh, Nathan? Uh, Minor, Nathan Anderson's site. Uh, this is an amazing guy in the NativeScript community, very helpful. Um, you can hit him up on the Slack channels. Um, he has a site called plugins.nativescript.rocks. Um, it's a list of all plugins you can get for NativeScript. Um, there's also just nativescript.rocks, which is the latest nightly builds of master for all NativeScript projects, um, like TNS core modules and, and so forth. So if you want to live bleeding edge, you can uh, check out his site and actually point your development workflow towards those. Um, and then the, the other two is just uh, some good tunes. Uh, War on Drugs, if no one's heard of them. Uh, Band from Philly, great music to listen to while you code. Uh, and then also City in Color, great Canadian group. Very nice. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'll actually check out those bands. Sounds good. Cool. Okay, uh, I have two picks for today. Uh, one, uh, I don't like to be political at all on this show, uh, but this this particular link is hilarious. So <laughs> if you haven't seen John Oliver's rant on Donald Trump, yet, <laughs> you you seriously have to check it out. I, I don't care what your political leanings are. It is seriously hilarious. Uh, so I, I'll include a well, link to yeah. that. And the other thing... It is, it is Super Tuesday, so... Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, oh, and actually part of that, what you have to do, especially for today, is um, John Oliver has created a Chrome plugin that changes anywhere where it has Trump in your browser to Drump. Um, <laughs> nice. And that'll make a lot more sense if you watch the video, but it, it is funny to see on, like, CNN and a lot of the places the... Uh, Rump everywhere. So, <clears throat> anyways, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. The other one is uh, sort of mentioned earlier in the show. 
that Brad tweeted about a set of cookbooks from uh, basically transitioning people's knowledge from Angular 1 to Angular 2. So it's actually a great set of resources where it shows how for traditionally things that people know how to do in Angular 1, and this is how you do them in Angular 2. And it's like perfect for people that are just starting to get in Angular 2. I uh, highly recommend them. I will send out that link uh, with the notes as well. Uh, and TJ, why don't we go to you for your picks? Sure. So teen uh, apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic dramas are sort of my thing. So like Hunger Games and like those type series of books, sort of disturbingly into that. Uh, there's this series called The Fifth Wave. You might have heard about the movie which just came out. I've heard, I've heard the movie is quite bad, although I, I, haven't, seen, I haven't seen it myself. However, there, there are two books for the fifth wave um, that are actually quite good. So if you're the type of person that enjoys Hunger Games, you might want to check those out. Uh, and then the second one, so speaking of uh, election and such, there's podcast I've been listening lately by the 538 people. It's the, it's the Nate Silver, if you haven't heard of these these folks before. Um, the podcast is actually quite good. What I what I like about it is they, they sort of break down the, the arcane U.S. political process. Like, what do all these, these caucuses and primaries in this system, how does it actually work? Um, that sort of thing. And I just find that sort of fascinating because I, I still, to this day, can't get wrap my head around the crazy way that we elect a president. So... That's it for me. That is pretty nutty. <laughs> um, Jen, yeah, yeah. what are your picks? Yeah, so my, I'll just give two of the picks that I listed. Um, one is more product-oriented, but I just love it so much that I couldn't resist. And it's the website plugins.telerik.com. And it's split into two sections. So there's plugins for hybrid mobile development. You can, these are all curated plugins that you can use. We, you know, we keep an eye on them and make sure they're continually awesome. And then the other half is for um, NativeScript plugins. So it's just really a great resource, um, whether or not you use Telerik products. doesn't matter. It's open for you. <laughs> and then I thought I'd also list my uh, my game crush right now. So my manager, Burke, was saying that he hadn't fallen in love with an app recently. But I actually admit that I have fallen in love with this app. And it's um, Neko Atsume. It's um, the Kitty Collector app. If you haven't tried this, you've got to try this app. <laughs> you... Um, you basically have a yard and kittens come and you feed them and you leave toys out for them and it's the cutest thing in the whole world and I can't even. So that's my game crush. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, thank you very much, TJ. Thank you, Jen, for being here. This was really informative. Uh, I appreciate it. And thank you, Nathan, for joining us as a guest. Paul's, I guess his little sign up for everything pointing to native script. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> it's the best. Very cool. <laughs> Bye, guys. We'll see you next week for Ionic 2 with the Ionic team. Have a good one. Oh, see you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.